because we have one of our co-founders here with us, Julie McKinley. Hey, Julie. <laughs> Finally, we get Julie on here. <laughs> I know. Well, and I think it's funny because the when we originally were going to do our very first coffee talk, what we tried to do was get all four of us. So it was going to be you, you, Enid, me, Julie, and our other co-founder, Shantae, and we could not make our schedules align because it was the fall and it was sports season and all of our kids play sports. And we just could not make that work. But now we're all trapped at home because of COVID. And so we get to uh, uh, talk Julie into doing this. So <laughs> no choice today. Um, Julie, so everybody kind of gets to know you a little bit. How, how did you join the dyslexia fight and why, why DI? Why, why with me and Shantae on DI? Oh, well, <clears throat> I, I, when my son was, uh, was born and I just didn't know it. Um, <coughs> it was revealed to me later that, uh, what I was dealing with, right? So I mean, we're right. When my son was born, we had a couple of different issues. And um, one of the things is he was tongue-tied and he was hypotonic. And that means he liked rolling his face. And I wound up taking him. Um, he was born in September and like cold flu and RSV, RSVC. Um, I was like determined to breastfeed this child, which he wouldn't do it because he had, didn't have the muscle control in his face. Took him to a lactation consultant, and she was like, um, well, yeah, he's tongue-tied and hypotonic. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, what is that? And at the time, I was working with a lady who was this, an SLP, and she was like, by the way, she said, there's a neurological issue, and you don't know what it is yet. So, I mean, so he was it, there from the get-go. And so um, I worked with, uh, when he started eating solid food, I worked with ECI, the early childhood intervention to like kind of help wake up the muscles in his face because um, being tongue-tied and hypotonic, it was actually a choking. And uh, we had his tongue clipped and, you know, woke up the muscles in his face. And then when speech started coming in at about 18 months, I noticed a stutter. Well, I spoke to ECI about it <laughs> and they were like, well, just give it six months. And I'm sure everyone on here has been victim of the six month waiting period on everything. So, um, flash forward six months later, I'm talking to ECI again. I'm like, Hey, you know, speech is in and he's still stuttering. Well, just give it four months. It can be developmental, you know? So another six months later, so do the math. He is now three, right? Cause he's born on September 3rd is his birthday. So he made the cutoff for schools. So ECI is like, Oh, now you've got to go to the public school system. Even though his birthday was after September 1st, he was still three. You know, in that time, so I had to go to public school to uh, work with him on uh, speech articulation. There, so I got the three, the six month three timed by ECI. So I was delayed three times by ECI, and then I go to the public school that my child. What does ECI stand for? Just not everybody's going to know what that means. It's the early childhood intervention. So it's the services that, you know, whenever you have a child who has um, an issue, you can, you go to ECI. I don't know what it is for everybody else, but in Texas, it's early childhood intervention. And so um, anyway, so we, I took him to the public school at the age of three and I was like, hey, you know, we're a stutterer. Oh yeah, well, give it six more months. 
So again, with the delay tactics. And so uh, I did that two more times. Every, I, I can't hear you, Enid. Oh, sorry. I keep muting my mic. I wanted to jump in really quickly and say with stuttering, that's a tricky one because there is a developmental period of stuttering where most kids stutter but before three. And so that's a tricky one. So I just kind of wanted to throw that out there too because um, it, it, it is. It's hard when you're a parent and, and you're having to play the waiting game and you know maybe that your kid, it's more than the developmental stutter. Um, but yeah, that is the tricky one because they, um, it, otherwise everyone would be in therapy for stuttering <laughs> because there is a developmental stuttering. And I, I, and I gave it their, yeah. their required waiting periods like five right. times, right? Ex so, right, five exactly. Times. It's so frustrating. <laughs> so by the time he was about four, he had developed a tick to go along with it, you know? So not only was it a whoa, 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 but he was also doing like the, the pointing and like the winking of the eye too. So mm. there was a tick component. So finally, <clears throat> I was able to convince them to accept him into early, to, to the PPCD school um, here in Texas, the early childhood pre-K. And so they were working with him and you know, they told me something. They were like, you know, he's really interesting because we've never seen a kid like him before. Uh, he would take the pen. He would take the pen with the left hand and he would go right to the middle of the paper. And then he would pick up with his right hand and continue writing. They're like, we've never, mm. they're like, we've never seen a kid do this before. And so, okay, well, you know, that's, that's an interesting. So there's a bunch of like different data facts along the way. You know, uh, we definitely had problems like pedaling the tricycle. And when we learned to crawl, we never crawled correctly. We stood, we stood up and, uh, or sat up and just drug ourselves with one arm. So individually, there was never anything that was like the aha, but there always was a little something nagging at the back of my brain. As a matter of fact, I'd even, you know, I talked to my pediatrician about it. And he's like, oh, it's nothing. It's nothing. Um, and I said, it's something. And I will find mm -hmm. out what it is. And so I just never relented. I never gave up. I'm no longer um, a client of that pediatrician because he wouldn't, he wouldn't listen to me. Well, and, and so, really quickly, too, when there is a tick, it is a true stutter. So that's really important. So when a kid adds a secondary behavior, that means it's it's significant and severe. So um, and that's what's so frustrating. I think um, I, uh, we're going to talk today about negotiations and everything, but I think it's really important that parents just trust their gut, right? And so, yeah, no, there are those things where there's those waiting periods and things, but you knew, you knew that something was off and everybody kept telling you, no, it's fine. He's fine. Just wait. And so, yeah, no, you will get that because of the developmental things. But then also as a mom, you had to trust your gut and you weren't taking no for an answer. Yeah. And, and I think that that's kind of at the end of the day, that's the, that's the story here is you just can't take no, because you will get a lot of no's along the way. Mm -hmm. so, um, so, you know, he went into, he, he was two years in the PPCD program and then we went to, to kindergarten and um, I want to say it was like two years or Seems like I, but anyway, went into kindergarten and by that time, and we, we had done a lot of outside therapy too. So I can't attribute like all of his um, growth and progress to just being school setting. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, we'd done a lot of outside work too. Cause I just, I had always known, even when he was three, before they would even let him into PPCD, I was like, something is up with this kid. Not a hundred percent sure what it is exactly, but it's something, not nothing. And mm -hmm. so, um, getting him into school and he was under, you know, IEP at the time because speech is an IEPable, 
like prog or diagnosis or whatever. And mm -hmm. so they uh, cut him loose going from kindergarten to first. They're like, hey, well, we think we could just service him through a 504 now. And I said, hey, uh, test him for dyslexia because I kind of really suspect that there could be a little bit of dyslexia there. And I, again, was waved off with the, well, if we see it, we'll test for it. But if we don't, we won't. Right. And so well, can I say something to him? Sorry, because I know your son. Um, I think it's really important to bring up, too, that he's also in the gifted program. So that confuses people. Is that okay? Yeah. That I, yeah. So, I mean, and so it's, it's an issue of it, it, it's hard for people to see when you have, and they think that they, you know, a lot of people don't understand to eat twice exceptional. Yeah. He's too yeah. smart for that. You know, I mean, that's, that's, that's the kind of the thing is I've heard other people, you know, that that's been what they've been told is, oh, they're too smart for that. I think mm -hmm. there's much, if you go look out on Wright's law, you know, there's stuff written on grades too good, too smart, you know, mm -hmm. and yeah, so he was, he, he fooled a lot of people for a long time, but he never really fooled mom. And so um, halfway through second grade, you know, I kept asking the first grade teacher, I'm like, yeah, but don't you know? Nope, nope. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. I'm like, yeah, but you know, when we're looking at words, reading a story and it's like hope, like right underneath is, you know, hope is the same word spelled H-O-P-E, but he's spelling it or he's pronouncing it hop. And I'm like, but that the letter that we're right, I don't, what? And so I had talked to the first grade teacher and I said, um, I think he's fooling us. And she's like, no, no, no he's not fooling us. I, said, I, I think he's memorized all of this. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> I generally feel like he is so smart that he mm -hmm. is, he's learning in class and he's coming home and he's reciting it, right? Mm -hmm. and reading everything about it but there were so many other you know like he got nintendo ds right and every time he would play he loved to play the nintendo ds but then he would have to ask me hey, mom can you read this and i'm like oh, i i i struggle with like is it a motivation like is it you know if you're just bringing it to me is it um is it just easier for me to do it um you know hearkening back i'm looking at kindergarten and i we would you know, he would bring home a lot of the unsolved word searches and crossword puzzles. Mm -hmm. It was like, it was always there. Ding, 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 ding. And, and halfway through second grade, um, we didn't do so well on a math test. I'm like, well, we're actually pretty good at math. So emailed the teacher, please send home the math test and took a look at it. And it was all of the reading problems on the test. It mm -hmm. wasn't, it was the Uh, reading of the problem and so I said test for dys dyslexia post haste and so they finally you know after being delayed to the age of you know halfway through second grade they tested them and even still they were like well you know but his phonological awareness is off the charts mm -hmm. and which which he still had holes when we first met too. And that's important to bring up as well, because here Julie is getting a report that his phonological awareness was off the charts. And there were still a couple little areas that were weak. And then the goals were written for those areas, correct, Julie? Because Julie is, you don't mess with Julie. So she makes sure that things happen in IEPs. Um, I mean, it, she's just so effective with getting her student, her child, what he needs. And, and so, yeah, is that accurate? Well, Julie? so here's, so here's what happened. So in halfway through second grade, remember they had migrated me to, oh, this was second grade. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Migrated me to a 504. Right. And so at that point it was just accommodations. So then I spent the next year 
you know, working on getting the IEP and you know, proving the educational need. And, you know, one of the things that I had indicated was, well, education keeps growing. I need him to grow with it. Right. Because that's one of the things mm-hmm. that they'll try to get. What's the educational need? And I right. think it's important for each one of us to have a seat at the table in um, our kids' educational discussions, right? Because 504s, they don't necessarily have to invite you to the table. And I have experienced, a, a, you know, a situation where other decisions were made even while I was on an IEP. So at the end of the day, I guess in the final analysis is, is this is your kid. This is, you know, you guys are going through the struggle together. If you don't, my sister, my sister is a negotiator as well. And one of her phrases is always, if you don't ask, you don't get. Right. So, um, you know, I can tell you of a couple of stories you know, for people that I know he goes to school with that, you know, I kept telling the mom, I said, I think your, your child's dyslexic. Well, the school keeps telling me that, no, she isn't. Her grades are too good. You know, guess what? She moves to a different district and magically she's dyslexic. I have another one where, you know, like I saw someone's handwriting and I said, mm, I think this kid could be dysgraphic. Well, I've been asking and and if it's just quote unquote, I say good enough. Right. They're going to let your kid go on through. Right. Mm-hmm. Ashley, I wanted to ask you a quick question. Did your son have a hard time crawling, too? Because mine that struggles with dyslexia didn't crawl. I was just wondering if it. No, that was all backwards. That was one of the funny things too, is when he had the occupational therapy evaluation, she asked me a lot of questions about his crawling. Um, mm-hmm. Like, did he, did he lock his elbows so that his arms moved? You know, his elbows didn't bend when he crawled. Did he crawl with like, locked arms? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I have no memory of him doing anything like that at all. He crawled, he crawled on time. He was a super fast crawler. It was amazing how fast that kid could cross a room. <laughs> um, and he he did a really interesting thing too. As soon as he could start pulling up, he pushed furniture around the room because my pediatrician accused me of not feeding him enough, which, you know, I didn't stay with that pediatrician too terribly long after that either, but <laughs> because he was underweight and she she was like, you're not, you're clearly not feeding your child. I need to report you to child protective services. Oh my cow. Fortunately for me, right then and there, my kid pulled up on a piece of furniture and started, started pushing it across her room. And she went, Oh, never mind. (laughs) It's like, we're out of (laughs) here. Well, and that's kind of, you know, that's, I, I hate to say that, but some of these bully techniques that are used, right? yeah. I mean, that's, that's just very unfortunate because how are you going to get the help for your kid whenever, you know, I'm going to report you because you're, right. you know, right. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel safe. Okay. Yeah. And the other thing is, is, is parents who are abusing their children don't take their kid to the pediatrician on a regular basis, for regular checkups and try to follow up and ask questions and do, exactly. you know. Well, and it's, it's dismissing and it's, it's systemic across so many platforms. It's dismissing the parent as being the expert on their child. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm the expert in my field and I know what I'm talking about. So I don't need to listen to what you have to say because you're not educated in this field and I just know better. So mm, that's my issue. Well, yeah. And also, um, 
you know, we need to make sure that I, I re read the comment, so I forgot what I was going to say. Sorry, I was reading this comment right here where Kellyanne said, OT said our dyslexia, dyscalculia, dysgraphia was overcompensating. Um, so, um, oh, I, that's interesting. With exaggerated yeah. movements. Okay. I was about right. to say over overcompensating how, but she, she filled in real quick with exaggerated movements. Yeah. Um, Oh, that's what I was going to say. Sorry, I knew it would come back to me. That it, a lot of that, and Julie, you, this is a lot of what you're saying too, and what I've seen with you is that, um, you know, I, I'm in an IEP one time, and they say, well, you know, he's three grade levels behind. Yes, we understand that, but that's grade level. I mean, that's average because average right now in our school system is three grade levels behind. So when we're saying don't take no for an answer, that is unacceptable. You say no, my my child is smart enough to be at grade level. So, but this is something that's, it's, it's everywhere I go that people will say, oh, they just have to be average. And the IEP, IDEA says they just have to be academically at, you know, approaching grade level, basically. Well, so, part, of, part of that issue is, though, the, the decline of what average means. Exactly. And that's... That's the real problem here because average, you know, the IQ is between 85 and 115 on a bell curve and your child is average and to have administrators look at you and say average is one to two to three years behind grade level. When somebody actually said that to me in an IEP meeting, I wanted to look at them and go, wait a minute, what? You're telling me that it's okay for every person that's in this grade, therefore, to be two years behind before you will consider intervening with some kind of service. I was like, do you have any idea how flawed what that statement, how, how flawed that statement is? Are you insane? Well, and, and they couldn't respond to that. They were just going, I, 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 and I'm sitting here going, oh my God, I'm dying. <laughs> well, and they, they, I mean, I'll just say it. They've dumbed down education because when I was in sixth grade, first book I ever read that had an impact on me and made me want to read was To Kill a Mockingbird, sixth grade. Mm -hmm. I remember it was sixth grade. I remember when I read that book, it's now an eight, it's now a ninth grade Lexile. Right. So that's wow. concerning to me that they considered a ninth grade Lexile. The ninth graders are reading that book and we read it in sixth grade. So well, I want so to add something to that average reading level. Yeah. Because yeah. you and I grew up in different states. I think you said you grew up in New Mexico. I grew up in California. Okay. So I grew up in Texas and then I had the interesting thing happen to me, which was halfway through my sophomore year of high school, I moved to Georgia and I only spent a year in Georgia before we moved back to Texas. But what I find interesting in what you were just saying about you read To Kill a Mockingbird in sixth grade, I believe I was in eighth grade when we read it here. Um, and I still live in Texas <laughs> when we read it here. But the standards across states are also different. So what is grade level norm in one state is a variable difference in a different state. I mean, because when I moved to Georgia, I was almost an entire school year behind my peers. And I could not catch up to them. That was so emotionally demoralizing, too, to go from being a straight A student in the top 5% of my class to transferring also to a different semester type system. So in Texas, we were on semesters. In Georgia, they were on trimesters. 
I had just taken my finals. I moved to Georgia. Two weeks later, I had to take all of their finals for grade level material that I was a year behind on. Needless to say, I failed all of my finals and I went from being a straight A student in the top 5% of my class to being a DF student in the bottom 50%. Wow. I never recovered. <laughs> and but the interesting point there is it all had to do with catching you up to where you needed to be, um, the curriculum that was provided. And I mm -hmm. think we've we've all had conversations that some of the curriculum doesn't if we were to teach all kids how to read the way you teach dyslexic kids how to read you wouldn't right. see yeah. Yeah. at right. the end of the day you know one of the things that we are failing our students is some of the programming that is available um and school districts have adopted it you know they all nod their head get sold a program and that's where you know your kid gets caught because most kids do not read by learning to read sight words. Right. That's where well, the percent band is, right? Our kids are like the 20% band of the dyslexics. I know that there's some um, questions about that specific, you know, whatever. But if you just look at it as a band, you know, maybe up to 20. But then, so 60% of your your kids in the NAEP scores, right? So what's what's the other 40%? Right. Or even if you had 0% dyslexic, what's the 60%, right? Right. So I was going to say, oh, go ahead, Ashley. Sorry. And what I shared, what I was going to say is I'm normative. I, I have issues with math, but I'm not dyscalculic, but I'm not, I'm normative. And me having that issue from Texas to Georgia was, was emotionally problematic for me. Then you think about our kids who start off behind and then stay behind. And that curve just keeps widening. The longer you deny services, the further and further and further behind they fall. So, I mean, we're kind of talking about a lot of things here about what is average, average is less than grade level. Our kids are have the intelligence to perform on grade level with their peers at what grade level should be, which is grade level. Um, some of our children like yours, Julie, even beyond grade level expectations, there, there's, there's a lot going on here there's there there are a lot of issues and it's it's difficult to unpack all of them in a conversation like this i think but it's important to point them all out because there are a lot of very disparate issues here and we as parents going into that table into that room sitting down at that table having to fight for these things we have to deal with each of the individual issues we can't just ignore one and talk and focus on another we have to talk about all of it as a whole Right. And I'll express the importance of, as I've got one that's about to go to sixth grade, trying to get as much as you can at the elementary school level. There's not as much um, movement. You know, you're going with two and three teachers as opposed to like seven. Um, right. You've got a bunch of, you know, you've got 5,000 new friends at your new school. I mean, I'm exaggerating, but so... So important to get all of that that you can at the elementary school level and it's such a short amount of time that whenever you get into those delay windows delay windows delay windows if it hasn't been addressed and you know you guys know how long i've been fighting for my son and i still feel that going into sixth grade i'm just like i i feel like we're you know coming up against the wall and i've done everything i can mm -hmm. 
And you really have, and it's it's commendable. Um, I was going to say, somebody said something, um, Rhonda, um, a, talking of a friend and a son who has signs but did not qualify. I cannot stress enough right now, 100% of every student I've ever met um, has has increased IQ scores when they have an IEE, 100%. Of, of, the, of the parents that I said, go get an IEE, this one is wrong. 100% of them have been wrong. And they're always uh, 12 to 20 points higher when you're, when you're doing an IEE on the outside. So just most recently, we had a student who the school psychologist gave him a 74 IQ, which is very low. And lo and behold, the IEE evaluation said 91. So for five years, the school district was treating him like a 74. But the problem with that, though, too, is that's statistically supposed to be impossible. Uh, no, <laughs> apparently not. So and what's happening is, is, is oh, that no. It's, no, I know what you're saying. But what I'm saying is it's, it's, uh, it's not um, valid testing. Right. So you're right. It is statistically. And that's why, um, you know, it's interesting to me um, on this one family, there were three of them, three students who all had IQs that were between 12 and 15 points lower. You know, so obviously it's an issue within the school district and their employee and their testing, but it's everywhere. That, right. And I don't know why. I don't know if it's that the school psychologists um, in these cases are unable to build a rapport with the student. I don't know if um, in this one case, this is this is really important because I don't think people realize this is happening. This school psychologist only tested weaknesses. She didn't test strengths. She only tested the areas that the student was weak in. So is that fair? Well, <laughs> there's a definition of dyslexia, a pattern of strengths and weaknesses. Right. If you're only testing one, you're missing the other. And so therefore, I'm just going to automatically disqualify you because you don't have a pattern of strengths. Right. right. To me, that's... That almost sounds underhanded. Exactly. So it, it will, you got to wonder, right? I mean, I'm just, so it's, um, but the thing is that is, yeah, parents, when you question it, you think that your child has a higher IQ than the school is reporting, mm -hmm. um, you know, make sure that you, you pursue that because. So based on a couple of questions we've had, I think we need to kind of clarify a couple of things. So when you're, and we're going to the three of us are going to apologize in advance because some terms are very specific to some of the things that we do and then some terms are very specific to idea. So Julie and I are both in Texas. Our kids are the same age and the same grade, so we have a lot in common and we tend to strategize together. The three of us when we communicate, we tend to get acronym heavy. Oh yeah, thank you Tracy for <laughs> she said IEE is independent education evaluation. Right. So when you follow when you ask for an evaluation under IDEA, you're going to get an individualized education plan, but that's if the evaluation process and what we've learned in the three of us discussing is every state kind of calls the evaluation process a little bit different. So in Texas, they call it a full independent evaluation and that's what you get in order, or that's what you have in order to get the IEP. Um, Whatever your state calls the evaluation, if they deny you the in the evaluation process, you have the right to protest. That protest is going out and getting an independent education evaluation, which is an unbiased third party outside of the school district. The school has to pay a certain amount for that. 
it's usually a, a negotiated thing. Um, but then you have this non-school district person. To do an IEE, you can't just go out and get your own IEE. Right. Yeah. And this is important because that is important. If right. I, I had tried to present um, outside uh, evidence to them that there was something going on. And since I didn't go through the school system back when he was three, you know, I kept trying, kept trying. Then I went around on the outside. I didn't know about the IEE process. I went to a developmental pediatrician. Well, I brought in those results and they were like, um, yeah, we only have to consider them and we consider them not acceptable. And so therefore it's important to play the, you know, you have to follow the path of when you reject the FIE that they provide, you have to get the school you can't just go to the outside and say, Hey, I need um, right. this other group to go provide me this service. You have to go through the school and they'll provide you a list of providers. And if there's a list, if there's a provider that you want, then you have to go get them qualified. Right. But I just even, I even used somebody that, um, cause with the whole IEP process, I, they tried, you know, they tried to deny me and I'm like, nope, nope, nope. So I requested an IEE. They tried to block the IEE too. Right. Wow. So, and, even and the law all, says, hmm? I was going to say, the law says you don't have to give a reason. And that's, that's really important as well, because I think a lot of times parents, um, don't really even know the reason of why they want an IEE. They just know it's not right. And so that it's that takes the pressure off families. They don't have to give a reason. You All you have to do is in writing is say, I am requesting an IEE. Um, right. You can say, I am requesting an IEE because I, agree, I disagree with part of the evaluation, or you don't even have to say that like legally. Julie, I think she froze. Well, and I'll tell you when you request, you guys froze. So when you request that IEE, make sure that you're making, that you ask them what all of their stipulations are, because that's what they came back. They're like, oh, well, your person didn't come in and do a classroom evaluation. So I was like, hey, but you, um, I said, but you didn't tell me that that person had to come and do a, you know, classroom evaluation. So I'll just tell you that that's what that they'll try to do is, you know, you request the IEE get it in writing from them. So what, what uh, qualifications does this person have to have? Does this person have to make a classroom observation? What are the requirements for you to accept, you know, to make the IEE more acceptable? Because like I said, I had an LSSP, I believe, that sat across the table from me and she's like, I'm denying, I mean, I had the IEE, the, we did the IEE, the school had already paid for the IEE. Right. No. And I think I think it's important to sort of point out too that um, you and I, you and I, Julie, we talked throughout that whole thing, right? Mm -hmm. So every single day you were getting an update. You and I would talk that night on the phone and we <laughs> we would work through things, strategize different things, you know, idea says this or doesn't say this. No, they can't do this. Yes, they can do that sort of a thing. Um, I do negotiations for a living. You are a master negotiator. And, okay. and many times on, see, I love Julie to death. Julie's one of my best friends. I would never go toe to toe with Julie if I had an inkling that I was wrong. <laughs> If we I talked about that, no, because it's, it's mad respect, Julie. We have 
just so much respect for you. Ashley and I've even talked about it. Like I wouldn't, no, nah, I wouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> but, but you know, that, that just means we wouldn't want to be an IEP uh, member on the other side of you because you're a force to be reckoned with. Um, and that's, you know, something really good. And that's what we want you to share too. Right. My, my sister tells me I'm, I'm like a dog with a bone. I've yes. described you that way to people. <laughs> Once I get it, I'm like, no, I am not relenting. I am not relenting. This is again, this is my kid, and you know, this is his future, and I have to fight. And you know, as part of that, <laughs> you know, I even joined the um, one of the sped committee at my at my school district, right? Because um, I wanted a voice, and some of the things that I've learned as part of that, and I kind of wanted to talk on that too, is there groups of people that don't want their kids to have an IEP because they view it as a stigma. Um, I have a next door neighbor and um, culturally speaking, she's, she's of a different culture and she had a swim party for her daughter and I met some of her friends and one of the women came in, she was doing a fundraiser for the American Heart Association and she came in and she's like, you know, she said uh, heart disease and heart disease kills my women more than your women because my women culturally are taught not to speak up. She said, so uh, my women are dying because culturally they're told not to speak up. Um, wow. Uh, and then serving on the, the committee that I serve on at school, that's the other thing that I've been told is, you know, there are certain cultures that don't want this because of the stigma. The thing is, is these things don't go away. If you ignore them, they don't go away. They only... You know, they only get worse over time if you address it and get everything that you can and get the needs met at an earlier level, then it almost completely and totally disappears, right? Right. So <laughs> that's kind of one of the things that we need to get out there is, you know, it's not a stigma. Um, it's not wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with with your kid. Your kid learns differently. You know, I see all three of us are wearing glasses, right? <laughs> If somebody was to tell you that, that um, you know, if you're, somebody told you. She's breaking up a lot. It's really bad if you get glasses, right? And so your mom doesn't get you glasses to see. Right. No, right. that's a really so great analogy. It's, it's, like, it's like that. Nobody would deny their kid glasses, right? I mean, mm -hmm. nobody's, nobody's doing that. Mm -hmm. But these other, so much, there's so much stigma associated with it and. And again, some of it, how do we break well, down those stigmas? I think a lot of it's a generational thing. You know, I know uh, the three of us here, we're about the same age. Um, you know, the the decades that we grew up in special education. Short bus. The short <laughs> bus. Short bus, yeah. I mean, yeah. people tell jokes about the short bus, but we don't have short buses anymore like that, yeah. you know, but. Yeah, I don't know. And the kids that rode the short bus were, you know, rather severely physically and mentally challenged. It, not, you know, the the physically challenged kids they were considered normative. I'm talking about the kids that truly had both physical and mental challenges. Is kind of what you thought about as the short bus kind of a kid. And I hate saying that, and I hate referring to any of that. But special education is not that same thing anymore. And I remember when we were pursuing the special education, or I was pursuing by myself, the special education classification for my son, I was terrified to tell my husband. I was absolutely terrified because I didn't know how he was going to handle it because we never talked about it. 
And so I got the evaluation. I got everything done. I, you know, the, the evaluation was approved. He was going to move into the special education classification. And I came home one night and I'm just kind of dancing around my husband. He's like, whatever it is, spit it out. Whatever it is, you're not telling me that you're afraid to tell me. I need you to just spit it out. And I told him what I did. And he looked at me and he goes, why do you think I would be upset about that? And I went, well, you know, the whole short bus and, you know, growing up in the 70s and the 80s. And he was like, our son learned a very special way or a very specific way. He needs to have a specific type of education. They don't give that in gen ed. So he needs to be special ed. And I thought yeah, that that was. I was in that class. Sorry. I just wanted to say real quick. So say it's about like I was in the class with the kids who rode the short bus. Yeah. So um, and so is my really good friend. And that so you it's interesting because so what I want to say about that is that we educated very diff they educated very differently back then. I don't know, I don't ever remember being on an IEP, but I remember going to that class. So and it was a class that everybody knew you went there. It was, you know, and so that is the the stigma that people right. feel now. And and as someone who that's how I was educated. Um, it, you know, and we were all, we all are on the short bus. Come on. I mean, really, when we, we think about it, we all have, I mean, I, so it's one of those things that has a, like a, a feeling about it because, um, you know, it's such a negative connotation, but we all have weaknesses, right? But, but it was emphasized and it was highlighted and you knew you went there and I missed recess to go to this room and work on math and, you know, and so it's like, it, it, it stays with you too, but, but, um, but so the, a lot of the people who were in those classes, like I was and my friend, some of my friends were, they grow up and don't want their child. So they also feel that's like you're saying, Ashley, even right. if you weren't in the class yourself, like you knew the stigma of it. Right. And, right. and, um, and so it's, uh, but it's the same thing. I mean, I was getting help there. There was nothing, you know, um, but it was just the stigma. So right now, I mean, I have parents when I was working in the schools that would ask me all the time, is this going to follow them? Will they, will employers know? And I think that's the most important thing is that no, employers will never know. It's all confidential. And even if they do, not even colleges will know on your application unless you reveal it as part of your application process when you apply to college. And if you can get as much done at an early age as possible, it just kind of I mean, I don't want to say it completely until he disappears because you're not, you're, you're never not dyslexic. Right. But you develop new neural pathways with which to, you know, work in the in the world, right? So that's kind of how we, you know, I met Shantae, you know, when we with her company that I was wanting to do with my company. You know, we're all like employed out in the world, and you know, we can all spell and we can all, you know, do. It's just, it, you you know, Enid, you're dyslexic, but yet you're teaching my kid how to spell, right? So mm -hmm. not that you can't, it's because you can. Yeah. And somebody worked with you and somebody taught you. But if we continue to ignore it and we continue to kind of let things go by, then th then they'll be happy to go along with you if you're not going to fight with them, right? Like I said, you know, I know somebody, their kid wound up being dyslexic, but in a different district. Uh, I have a friend, you know, I really think that her son's dysgraphic. Um I have, there was another mom that I spoke with that her, her developed a, a stuff tick too. And she, she's also from a different culture. And I said, and I think culturally, you know, you guys have been taught not to, you know, stand up and fight. You know, my culture was taught that you got to fight and we, we abdicated from, you know, from England, right? We gave the big old bird. I love my friends from England. 
But well, I have to share too. The magic. That's our. But that's that's our history, right? We have a history of of revolution, right? So I just think that that that's kind of ingrained in it. You got to fight and you got to get these things because they'll be happy to let you be complacent. They will be. Right. It's easier for them for you to be complacent. Right. I want to talk about the magic of you two real quick too, because I, I had the pleasure of being in on an IEP with Julie and Julie said the most brilliant thing and I commended her and she said, no, I got that from Ashley. So they worked together, but the, and it was the way she said it at the time she said it. And I can't stress that enough. Um, I, I don't pers I don't do a lot of advocacy anymore because um, I get a little too emotional involved. I get mad at people for not helping kids, you know, and it's, it's just, it's, it's not best for me. So, um, but what I've observed by watching both Ashley and Julie in action is they are, and Ashley will talk a little bit more about this with negotiation, but um, they're both so effective because they respond, they don't react. So um, I highly recommend, no matter how mad people are making you and they're saying things that are just ridiculous, um, take notes. <laughs> to take notes and then when the time is right, pounce like Julie does. And so um, at that moment, this is what she said. We sat through this whole IEP and they're talking about a reading program. I don't know if I'm echoing. A reading program that they were doing. And um, Julie said, okay, well, I would like to see mastery of skills. I want to see how you are measuring mastery of skills. I don't want to know that my child is progressing through levels of a program. I want to see skill and mastery. And then it was hilarious because she said it so clearly just like that. And the administrator actually, I think, needed a minute to process it because he said, I'm not exactly sure what you're saying, Miss McKinley. So Miss Julie said, Ina, can you help me out? And then I literally repeated the same exact thing she said. <laughs> and they were all like, oh, OK, yeah, uh, we'll have to get back to you on that. So it, it is a, a serious issue that that's that schools are reporting increasing on levels and not mastery of skills. Because what we find later is they progress, pro progress on programs, but don't always have the mastery of skills. They'll check. Right. And that's a really important thing to point out. But I wanted to um, focus on something that you just said about we, we respond, we don't react. I think a key thing that people kind of don't understand is you can table. I that that first IEP that you sat in with me, Enid, when they waited three and a half hours to hit me upside the head with how they were going to cut my son's services in half, I was instantaneously just out of my gourd, livid. But I didn't show the fact that I was out of my mind, ready to just slaughter everybody in the room. I paused, I smiled, and I said, this meeting is over. We will reconvene when I have the appropriate opportunity to respond to what you have just said, because I disagree. I get a voice that was out of the blue. We're tabling. And the meeting was over. We tabled. Use table if you have to in order to respond how you need to in order to respond appropriately because just because somebody hits you upside the head with a piece of information that you were not prepared for doesn't mean that you have to give an answer right then and there you have the right to be able to leave 
seek information from your circle, from experts, read books, read the law, do whatever you have to do before you go back and respond to that question. And that's, that's the power of tabling. And I think a lot of people don't understand that. I know Julie and I have tabled, God, my average, I, my last IEP I think was tabled four times. I think Julie's tabled six. <laughs> I hate to say it, but whenever I bought my first car, I walked away like three or four times because I was like, I told them. Nobody walks away. They I don't. Yeah. They'd call me back. From, I hadn't even made it back to the house. And they're like, um, and I'm 24. And I said, uh, <laughs> I said call, call me back when you're really willing to negotiate. And they're like, uh, but, and I said, nope. I said, when you're willing to negotiate, you can call me back. I said, but don't bother me until then. Right. And so then like the next day I'd get another phone call and they're like, well, this and this and this. And I mean, they even took me back to like the manager to have their manager, like, you know, uh, <laughs> beat with the people. <laughs> Right? Like the car salesman, I walked away and, right. you know, this isn't the best deal that they're giving to you. They, they want you to like, Oh yep. And <laughs> like I said, 504, that's great. And I'm hoping that one day that that's all we're going to need. And I'm hoping maybe mm -hmm. even one, I don't even need, you know, those that enough tools in my tool belt that I don't even really need a 504, but you, you have to be willing to, I just, just stay in it. Hang in there. This is not the best deal that that's, that's out there. Their first offer is not the best deal. But <laughs> even, if they, even if they bring it. But you just made a really good point. And I want to, I want to focus on that for a second because you said you left the table and they came this, the next time you went back, they had the manager there. So from an IEP perspective, you start off with maybe the diagnostician and maybe the vice principal and the teacher sitting in the room. You table, you walk away. The next time you come, the principal's in the room. You table, you walk away. The next time you come, Amazon Prime is about to ring my doorbell and my dogs are going to go ballistic the second that they do. Bad time. <laughs> um, but hold on. Y'all okay. talk for a second. We'll keep talking. You gotta go get her Amazon Prime. <laughs> Okay, so Julie, in the last meeting, did you table the last meeting or did you, they, they weren't prepared to give you what you needed. That's what why we ended, right? Are you, can you hear me, Julie? 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 Are you there? <laughs> Julie's not responding. <laughs> Sorry. I was able to cut off Amazon Prime. All right, so. Okay. <laughs> What I was saying though is like, so the second time you do it, the principal's there. The third time you do it, maybe you have a district representative there. Maybe it's the head of the dyslexia intervention. The next time you do it, maybe it's the head of SPED. I mean, every time you table, the school's potentially going up the ante is what I like to call it. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that the next higher up is right. That doesn't mean that you're supposed to be intimidated. That doesn't mean that you're supposed to go, oh gosh, well maybe, you know, maybe what I'm fighting for isn't right here and I need to, no. Trust your gut, do your research, do your work. One thing that Julie and I are both really good at is talking to a lot of people and making, well, you lost Julie completely now. <laughs> is talking to a lot of people and I'm not afraid to ask 
the, the same question to 20 different people and see what kind of information I get back. I know when I did the IEP thing, I know that I had read an idea that just because my son was classified as special education, that he didn't have to have a special education teacher. I wanted the guarantee of services. I didn't necessarily want him put in a resource room. So I called a whole bunch of different people and said, help me book chapter and verse, because now I can't find it. Where is it an idea that says he has to have a special education teacher? And they went, he doesn't. And I was like, yes, but book chapter and verse, where is that? I went in there with the printed copy of that section of idea and said, he doesn't have to have a special education teacher. You know, this sort of opens up the right for me as the parent to dictate what kind of teacher he has. So we're getting Julie back. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Nice. Um, but it's, it's trusting yourself. It's trusting that you're right. It's not being intimidated because of who is in the room. It's well, no, one. And one of the things that I brought up at the SPED committee I served on, I brought the, uh, my next IEP meeting and I honestly I'm just terrible here I I looked at her while I was sitting in the IEP meeting and I said um, I just want to point out something and I went around the room and I counted out and I pointed to each person and I was like one two three four you know and I caught to like 10 of them and I said I just want to call out that there's 10 of you and there's one of me proceed I've been in a meeting that was, I have literally been in a meeting that was 17 to one. Yeah. Well, and, and I need to say something too, of, of 17 years of working in the schools and it's, it's really harsh, but literally people will say they, they can't fight this. They don't have a lawyer. They're not going to be, no, they won't be able to hire a lawyer. They don't have the means. They don't have the resources. They won't be able to hire an advocate. These discussions happen behind the scenes. We don't have to worry about this parent. We don't have to give them what they want. We only have to give the ones that, you know, have the lawyer, have the advocate. So if you could ever make anyone believe you have a lawyer and an advocate, whether you do or you don't, it's not a bad idea. Um, and then for those of you in California, we have in Sacramento, Rudiman and Knox um, law office that literally will take cases because they know they can win them and they don't take anything but like 30 or $50 from parents until they get the lawyer's fees paid for. So there are lawyers out there like that that are leveling the playing field because now people, when I fought for my kid, I couldn't hire a lawyer. I was a single mom. I didn't have the resources. So they knew that. They knew that. And I worked for the school district. So they knew I couldn't fight them. So I saw it happen with myself and I've seen it happen countless times with other people. So even if you can't get an advocate or a lawyer, it doesn't hurt to make them believe you have one. Or, or, you know, bring, bring somebody with you. You know, if you've got a family member mm -hmm. or, you know, uh, my, my sister's an educator, I have brought her or, um, you know, there's things that I'll ping back on her at times. And I'm like, uh, Hey, this and this and this, he's like, eh, no, no, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do this. And, so it's it's right. good to have a circle because that's exactly what happens is if you're it's one of the things I told my son <clears throat> when he was in second grade and he was feeling kind of, you know, bad about himself. He knew he was learning differently, but he didn't know why at that point. Right. And uh, one of the things that we did. 
I got my son into some self-defense so he would learn how to defend himself because kids were picking on him. But I told him, I said, never be the lone gazelle. And he's like, what? And I said, you know what lions do to the lone gazelle? And he's like, what? I said, they, they eat them. But don't be the lone gazelle. Only you would say that. <laughs> right? I know. <laughs> like, my poor kid was like, what? And now he's like, he's the most social kid now. So... <laughs> Right. I wanted to address. A, oh, sorry. I wanted to address a question because it's super important or a, a comment. Marianne, Le, Le, I'm going to say it wrong. Lavu, Lavu. Okay, I'm not even going to try. Um, <laughs> I have said I cannot hire a lawyer, but not to them. I file state complaints. I cannot stress enough filing state complaints. Mm -hmm. Nobody does it. I worked um, in Gardnerville. I mean, I worked in Nevada for a while, and I. Um, worked with parents all the time. And um, I would say, well, if you filed a complaint and when I researched the amount of people that had filed a complaint in three years, there had been one. So I know there were a lot of unhappy people. Um, however, it, it, they're not making complaints. So we have to be filing state complaints. When a state complaint is filed, sanctions are made. I know this because we had them in the district I worked at. So we get, we have a big, you know, meeting at the beginning of the year, special ed director. And she says, you cannot make a mistake on this for the next year because we are being watched. So it, 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 there's action that happens and things change, but things never change if you don't. I think there's a lot of stigma. Sorry, Julie. I think there's a lot of stigma around filing state complaints because People think that the negotiation is over, that you've lost, you know, they're, they're going to be completely unwilling to negotiate with you. They're going to shut down. You're going to get shut out. Your kid's going to be retaliated against if you file state complaints. I think it's the opposite. It is you, the opposite. You've, you've thrown the gauntlet down basically. And you've said, Hey, <laughs> I'm here to play. They're now going to take you more seriously. They're going to stop dismissing you. And by the way, if they do retaliate against your child, that's illegal. It's called out an idea and you have more grounds for complaints. You can make a case for retaliation so easy if they look at you funny. So I remember we had my special ed director again would say, we have this case. You guys cannot do anything that could seem retaliatory at all. Like be really good and make sure you're on your best A game with this parent. So yes, it matters. Right. Julie? Well, I've, had, I've even had, so I'd asked for with whenever I was trying to get back to the IEP, I'd ask for, one of the things I'd asked for was an assistive technology review. And in the IEP, IEE process where the one lady, the LSSP denied me, she's like, well, we determined that you don't need an ATE vow. And I said, I didn't ask you to determine the need if I asked to do one and determine what his needs were. And so um, I tabled that and I called region 10. I phoned region 10 and I got hold of their assistive technology person. And I said, help me understand. I said, I view assistive technology in this vein, but the school's trying to view it as like a braille machine or this or that. And mm -hmm. so they're talking totally disconnected on what assistive technology is she's like no you're right and so you know i went back and my son had an assistive technology review and guess what he's got some spit you know speech to text he's got some right. but i refuse to take no for an answer but i i mean i phoned region 10 and all of that you know i mean i find that's i mean so, don't at the end of the well, day that, don't take for an answer talk to right. talk to other people in this situation. well and that's important too about assistive like technology I was going to say really quickly, that's important about assistive technology because what they'll do is every kid, well, at least in California, so every kid has a Chromebook, 
well, there's already assistive technology on the Chromebook. We, we are giving assistive technology all day long. Well, that's not individualized assistive technology. So that is something really important when, because parents will get that all the time with assistive technology, every time. They don't need it. They don't need it or um, they already have it. Right. but they don't have individualized. And all of the, the Chromebooks, really important piece of information, they're all the cheap free programs, right? So mm -hmm. they're not, you know, they're not the best and some students need more and better. Right. So, um, so I wanted to, two things on what Julie said. One, Region 10. So in tech, in the state of Texas, because the state is so large, our, our system is divided up into regions. I actually don't even know how many regions we have across the state. The regions are run by the state educational agency, but the districts don't report to the regions, which is sort of a, a weird thing. They're more of a consultant, if you will. Julie lives in Region 10. I live in Region 4. Uh, but the second thing is, and I really wanted to point this out based on what Julie said, a major tactic in negotiation is the choice of language. It's also the same in contracts where you place the comma in a sentence in a contract changes the entire mm. context of the sentence within the contract. An IEP is a contract. Technically a 504 is too, but you don't have the teeth in a 504 that you do within an IEP. Both are educational contracts, but the IEP is backed by idea and you as the parent, you've got teeth. In that meeting, pay attention to the language that is used when people are talking to you. I focus very keenly on a few things. I focus one on the language that is that they utter the true words that come out of their mouth and two, their body language because their body language is telling me everything that their words are not. And those two things I'm, <laughs> Enid will tell you, I'm very calm. I never respond immediately. People will say something to me and I always pause. The pause is so powerful. I And I, you don't really realize it until you watch Ashley in action. So, because <laughs> it, 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 it unnerves people. Oh yeah, I call it the power of the pause. <laughs> and, here's, and here's something that, you know, I'm gonna mention too. And again, being on the SPED committee and that's what I brought up. I said, you know, I'm very fortunate. In fact, I do have a husband at home and I'm a very educated person. I said, but what about the, the mom that English isn't her first language? Right. What about the mom who doesn't have the husband? What about the, you know, the single working mom mm -hmm. who's working two jobs and, you know, whatever? Um, you know, there, and actually there was a lady that I work with that's in the same district and um, she's, she's um, a, you know, Hispanic. And then there's another lady who's one of our, you know, yeah. She was struggling and she's like, you know, she brings me to her IEPs because English is not her first language. So one of the things that I find in these uh, conversations is even as an English first language learner, even as somebody who holds a master's degree, um, mm -hmm. the semantics that they use in these meetings is is incredible. And, I, and I'll even say, I said, I don't want you guys to trip me up on your semantic, right? Like, we're going to spell this out. So what, I, I'm not sure like an English as a second language 
learner type parent, if there are services out there, you know, because number one, it's always helpful to bring someone to an IEP, advocate, friend, you know, something. If you can't afford an advocate, bring a friend or somebody who can translate for you if, if this isn't, you know, or what, what did they just say? Did you just hear that the way I heard it? Right. Yeah. Because again, like even with assistive technology, she's like, well, we decided that you didn't need one. I said, I didn't ask you if. I said, I asked you to do one. Right. Right. And that's a key word, right? I didn't ask if. That wasn't. Right. So, you know, I don't know if there's like, and I'm just kicking this out here. Um, if you're somebody who's an English as a second language learner, are they required to bring an interpreter for you, you know, from the district to keep? keep them from using, you know. So it tends to be a checkbox on forms of was an interpreter provided or not. It, um, I would have to look up an idea if an interpreter is required for somebody and at what point is an interpreter Who's that the, well, the parent decides. So the parent can waive their right to an interpreter. If, if the way it's checked is when a student enters the... Um, the school, there is an actual language survey. And on the language survey, it says whether or not they, um, if, if English is not their first language, what their primary language is. If there is a language survey with that student, then you know you have to ask them if they want an interpreter. Gotcha. If the parent says, I don't want an interpreter, I'm fine, I can understand everything you're saying, then they waive their right to an interpreter, but they're always given one automatically if there's a language survey. I mean, that's the law, they're supposed okay. to. Good, good. And then I'm sure some level of trust question too, right? Because who is the interpreter? So I, yeah, I would always well, an interpreter could just be someone who speaks Spanish. Sorry, Julie, but yeah, so that's the problem too. Because when I worked, when I started my career, I had a school that was seventy-five percent Spanish speaking, and I had four interpreters during that time, and only one of them was strong in language. If that makes sense. So mm -hmm. when I got her, I would say, "Why do you say it that way?" The other people would say it that way, and she said, "Well, that was slang." So usually you get whoever at the school speaks Spanish, you know, and so it's, it's not always the best Spanish, unfortunately. But I, I like that Julie calls it out as semantics because in order to not get trapped in a semantical argument, I have asked what seem to be extraordinarily dumb questions where I have looked at them and said, define how you are using that word. Mm -hmm. And Sometimes I get incredibly smart ass answers. Like I'm an idiot because I'm asking the question, but they mm -hmm. still define it. Mm. And yeah, I want them to define it. I'm like, I don't speak teacher. You're going to have to break this yeah. down for me. Right. Mm -hmm. um, like in, uh, we, they, they kept talking about the last time I did it, they kept talking about inferencing my son's ability to inference, 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 inference. And I went, define how you're using inferencing. And part of that question was I wanted them to talk about how they were trying to teach it within the classroom itself. But he, the principal looked at me and he said, oh, you don't want to infer what I mean by inferencing? Oh. And I was so wow. Well, we don't have to be rude. Well, that, but I know. Even in he thought it was being funny. But, but talking talking about fluency, the way you understand fluency in an SLP world versus the, the fluency that they'll talk about on an IEP or a 504. Oh, we're improving his fluency. Well, they view that as count words per minute. Right. Well, mm -hmm. Really, fluency is like the prosody. It's the mm -hmm. uh, inflection. It's all. It's a whole bunch of stuff. Stuff is one. 
that they only want to call as count words per minute. And it's, right. again, these are the things where, you know, the lay person, the lay mom or the lay dad, you know, they don't, mm -hmm. it, it doesn't make sense. Cause you know, you're sitting there and you're like, Oh, okay. Yeah, that sounds great. You know, but whenever you actually have somebody who, who is like, well, fluency, fluency really isn't just count words per minute, because I'll tell you, our kids are so smart that they're just going to like, you know, blow right through that, but they may not be getting the true um, right. intent of fluency. Right. Here's a really important thing since you bring up fluency. I can't help but say something about this. So the problem with fluency tests is that these kids, a lot of these kids don't have a strong foundation in what punctuation is. And so they're actually trained by these stupid fluency tests that I hate with a passion um, to read really quickly. Okay. Now, if you read really quickly and you, because they know it's time, that's all they know is it's timed and I got to read it quickly. Am I, am I going to be accurate? Probably not because I'm, I'm my, I have adrenaline pumping through my body because I have to get this done. Right. And then um, they, they, their comprehension is horrible because they don't stop at periods and pause at commas and reflect on what they're saying. And you can't have it both ways. You can't teach a kid. You have to stop at periods and pause at commas, but we're going to time you. I mean, it's just, yeah, it, it contradicts everything. And I called that out. I personally called that out because they kept recording my son reading passages and loading it into an app that the district uses and then sending them to me. And so I'm listening to these one minute snippet recordings of my son reading. And then he has to like, there's this paper chart that he has to fill out and he circles, he colors in basically how many words he got accurately in the one and in the, that one minute time span, et cetera. Well, then there was a different question that came up from his general ed language arts teacher, reading teacher. And so I looked, I just flat out, I looked at them and I said, I looked at his dyslexia teacher and I said, he's not reading for comprehension when he's reading for you. He's reading for speed. He's just trying to get through the words mm -hmm. as fast as he can so that he can color in as much on that chart as he can. If you ask him comprehension questions, he's not comprehending what he's reading. He's just flying through the words versus mm -hmm. you reading. He's taking the time to do the comprehension, but he's reading slower than he is for his dyslexia teacher because he's now trying to comprehend what he's reading so that he can answer the questions that he knows that you are going to ask him. Y'all need to get on the same page with each other. The point of his services is to have him performing at grade level, not checking a checkbox, which is what you're doing by recording him and having him read as many words as he can in a, in a minute. That's not achieving anything here, but putting him under stress. Well, and is that a balanced literacy thing? I mean, the idea of it's it's because it's horrible. It's horrible. It, it actually causes more problems than it than it gives us any information. It is it, because of Fontes and Pinnell, because you have to be able to read so fast to move from one level to another. And in there, in the Fontes and Pinnell rating system, so to go from an, an L to an M or an N to a P, um, it's not only that you aren't allowed to make so many mistakes because you only get so many mistakes in order to move up to the next level. But you also have to read so fast because that's the challenge that's before us right now is I'm pushing for, because they're a Fontes and Pinnell based district, I'm saying that he has to read on level for the Fontes and Pinnell scale, which I think is an X by the end of fifth grade. The problem with that is because he is orthographic dyslexia, he's never going to be the fastest reader in the world. He's that okay? always, 
It is. Yeah. But the Fortis and Pinnell scale wants you to read at a certain speed in order to call you an on grade level reader, which is bullshit. Yes. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> it is. And, and so it is. And I, hey, by the way, thank you, Stephen out. He, he said, hello, ladies, keep up the great work. Right. That's very nice. And one that. thing to talk about too is look at their scores for their comprehension. Don't look at the, don't look at how many words they're reading accurately in, in, in a minute. Look at their comprehension scores. My son is in fifth grade. His comprehension is at a, at grade seven and a half. Mm. I don't read, and I've said for a long time, I don't really care a whole lot about his fluency. I care about his fluency from a true fluency perspective, meaning prosody. And in his fluency via prosody, is he able to understand, is he able to read efficiently mm -hmm. and therefore have comprehension without having a laborious effort getting there? Does well, and it encourages sense? guessing. And right. every single student I get, I have to break them of the bad habit of guessing. So when we are talking about accuracy, um, a lot of times it's purely just because they've been trained to guess. And so they don't even, even if they have the underlying skills, they're not using them because they're just so anxious to do it that they just get it and get through it. So, And that's the crazy thing about the Fontes and Pinnell scale, if you think about it, because they have, they have to read as fast as they can, but they only get so many errors. So if they're guessing, they're going to have more errors. So they're not going to move up in the scale. It's really... I mean, it's the true definition of a catch-22. So from a balanced literacy perspective, you're teaching the child from the get-go to guess at the words, but in order to move up from a grade-level perspective, to challenge them on more and more and more material, to truly teach them at higher level of material, you have to be accurate in what you're reading. Mm -hmm. It's, I mean, it's a system completely set up for failure. There's, mm -hmm. there's no two ways around it. And so that leads me to say, we need to be writing letters to our representatives <laughs> because um, I mean, I know right now, I mean, I know in California, Governor Newsom, who's dyslexic himself is making a lot of decisions. And I don't know that he's being advised by the best people, I have to say. So um, I think that many times, and, I, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a supporter of Governor Newsom, but I think that sometimes um, our voices need to be heard so that um, I mean, always our voices need to be heard, but right now is a very powerful time. I'm, I'm saying from California, because that's where I am. And you guys are, have been really active lately about writing letters to your representatives in Texas, um, wherever you are, or maybe not usually, but I know Ashley did. <laughs> you gave me a funny look. <laughs> um, but uh, but uh, anyway, yeah. So I definitely think that needs to be happening too. We need to be writing letters. And, I, and I'm saying that, and I haven't done it yet. So I'm gonna get on that <laughs> and I'm gonna do it as well. Um, but I think it's really important because this is it's a losing battle for these kids right now in the schools. It is. And I wanna say something to that too, is you know, I think for a lot of people that I, it's writing a letter to your representative or calling your representative's office, whether they're your state rep or your federal rep, that's an intimidating thing. It's, it's mm -hmm. almost the same thing as an IEP. You know, you go into, or a 504 meeting, whatever it is, you go into a school meeting, you're the parent, they're the expert, you know. It's the same thing with writing any of your representatives. If they're elected. It's, we've almost kind of in our culture created this fame concept around our elected representatives which shouldn't 
be there because it's not accurate in any way, shape or form. There's okay. simply people who chose to I'll tell, raise you, I'll tell you, I reached out with, um, well, my, my internet like fading in and out. But like with the, when they came out, I can't remember which house bill it was. I phoned Diego Bernal, the Diego Bernal's office down in San Antonio. And I was in the same impression that you were. But I got a live person on the phone. And I'm like, wait a minute, what? I, I didn't go to voicemail? Right. Right. And what? But, but so there. I spoke with a live person about, um, it was something about IEPs and, you know, if they fail, maybe it was a. If they fail, star or something, then it goes to the ARD committee instead of whatever. They, your your internet connection is so bad. I'm so sorry, Julie. Right, so I was like, you need to have the same thing for a 504. I don't think she even knows. Like, I don't think she knows either. Two years ago, I'm like raising my hand. It was like Van. <laughs> Huh? We're laughing because your internet connection is so bad. Sorry. It's so bad. <laughs> You're coming in and out. And I, I want on that right. note, I want to say that I just I want to I appreciate um Ashley particularly right now because we do coffee talk together every Saturday. But um I think I think it's it's been such a growing experience for me to be on Coffee Talk because nothing ever goes the way we plan. And um I think that you know, it. I had a. I, I'm just going to throw this in there because it's kind of off the topic. But I had a the last coffee talk. I was like, <laughs> oh, oh my gosh, my worst sucking my bandwidth. Uh, my worst coffee talk ever. And thinking it wasn't successful, and then I realized I have to redefine success because I had someone tell me yesterday that she really appreciates coffee talk and she finds it really helpful. And I just want to say that when when Ashley and I had this wild idea of doing this every Saturday or most Saturdays. We, that's all we said. Well, we, you know, I said, I said every now and then you said every Saturday, let's oh. be clear. <laughs> of course, I'm always the one, but, but the point is, is that it's been uh, a, a beautiful journey with Ashley along this because we have had to let a lot go. And um, I think it's important during this time that everybody's homeschooling their kids and everybody's feeling panicked with this being at home is that we redefine success. I know we'll get her back. We redefine success and that we give ourselves more grace because right. I, I just, you know, and we've had to do that on coffee talk. Cause we're, it's like technology is not our friends. Sometimes we're never on time. <laughs> we're never on time. And we appreciate everyone being there with us and supporting us, even though it is how it is. <laughs> Definitely. And I just, and thank you for saying all that. I want to, we've been running really long and I want to kind yeah. of finish the, the rep thing is don't have fame around your state reps. They're just people just like you're a person. They're just a person, you know, they put their pants on one leg at a time every single morning, just like everybody else. Mm -hmm. The thing about how our government is made is, you know, it's that first sentence that gets, it's not overused in any way, shape or form. It's we, the people. Mm -hmm. They are supposed to represent the voice of the people and they don't know what to represent unless the people speak up. Right. So they're going to be listening to the people that are talking the most in their ear. And you don't want that to be a lobbyist or a special interest group or somebody like that. You as the people need to raise your voice and not be afraid to call your representatives 
even if you feel like you don't know a whole lot about the subject, that's not the point. You just need to call up and say, you know what? Dyslexia is really important to me. The science of reading needs to be restored to our educational system. Balanced literacy needs to go away. You're my rep. You need to make sure that that happens. That's all you need to say. Yeah. Exactly. And I mean it. <laughs> and I know, and I know we're trying to wrap this up, but I wanted to share real quickly. One of our um, board members, Nikki, wrote a letter to Diane Feinstein. And what was really wonderful was the response she got back. Yes. So, um, you know, and it was it, you know, dear Nikki, thank you for writing to share your support for the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. And she goes, it's a very long, long letter. It, and um, like you, I believe all students, all students deserve high quality education, regardless of ability, which is why I have consistently supported funding for special education programs and resources, including IDEA. So it's 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 powerful when you get a letter back and you find out that you actually have support from your representative. So and and of course that politics works, you know, the more the more they know they're being supported, the more that, you know, people are going to try to go that way. So um, but it was a very nice letter. It was very long and um, and and addressed every single thing she, she addressed in her letter. And um, they have to respond. So it legislature has to respond. So I've, I've shared this story before and I'm going to share it again. And in, in Nevada, we were having some issues with teachers. We wanted um, a cost of increase raise and they weren't going to put it into the legislature that year. So we bombarded them with postcards and um, they have to respond to every single thing they get, the, the correspondence that comes in. So they couldn't. So they said, I'm sorry, we can't respond to all of you. We're just going to add it to our budget. So, it, you know, it, it, it does work. It does have power. And especially if we bombard. It does. It does. And it's important to keep up with current issues and it's important to make your voice be heard. Um, I, that. I cut out again, but I've gone to like uh, when people were being elected, you know, I listened to their spiel with Vancouver, Angela Paxton, Jeff Leach and uh, Matt Shaheen. And once they with their spiel, I was the first one to raise my hand and I was like, hey, do you guys realize that you have a, a problem with education in Texas? I said, and in particular, you know, dyslexic students, whatever. And they actually came up to me like afterwards, you know, because everybody else, you know, had their own whatever, but I was very specific and they were actually surprised that I knew anything about like the water park that was created out in La Jolla, uh, Robin Hood dollar. So, right. And I'm actually working with, uh, you know, Matt Shaheen on a committee, right? And it's because I, they aren't, you know, they are regular people. I had, you know, <laughs> yeah, we had, we've had conversations then and, and they're not the big scary people. They seem like they're the big scary people, but they're not the big scary people. And to be honest with you, if the parents aren't speaking, guess who's speaking to them? Right. The lobbyists, the mm -hmm. lobbyists, are, if the, they're not here for the parents, they don't know any better. And so right. I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to let you know that your legislature they don't really know unless the parents are. Really <laughs> I, I'm so bad. I feel so bad. I'm <laughs> keep praising Julie, and you have so much good stuff to share. I know. <laughs> All right. I don't know if she's gonna. Catch up. I don't know when she's gonna catch up with us, but I think that this is a good point to wrap up because we've talked about some of the semantics of negotiation and we've talked about the importance of reaching out to our reps. So there's a lot more with negotiation that we can explore. Um, one of the things that we've been talking about is building out sort of a mock IEP mm -hmm. and broadcasting that because um, 
that's been an ask that's made been made specifically to us. So um, yeah, I think the three of us would be great for like a mock IEP because we bring different things to the, to the table. Um, Julie and I are both really good negotiators, but we're good for different reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, I can play the school district employee. <laughs> Correct. And we need, we need a couple of more people that can do that. But we need, I think, I think they're, they're going to be really easy to identify, but, um, <laughs> but let's, let's wrap up here. And um, if you have questions specifically about negotiation, don't be afraid to reach out to us because I've been doing negotiation professionally for many, many years. Um, Julie, Sorry, I'm adding Julie with a different stream. Um, Julie is uh, also a corporate professional like I am. She's been involved in tons of meetings of, over the course of her, of her career. So she's learned an extraordinary amount about negotiation. So if you have negotiations with questions, don't be afraid to ask. Don't be afraid to reach out to us and just, you know, be like, just message us if you have specific scenarios you want to talk about, et cetera, and we can we can do our best to help you. But don't be afraid to re reach out to your reps. And with that, I think we're going to say happy Easter can, weekend. Can I say yeah. one last thing? Because I'm going to answer this question. Someone says, what do you do if you don't have, if your state doesn't have a dyslexia handbook? So, And somebody else brought up the dyslexia handbook as well. Um, Bring the dyslexia handbook into the IEP. It's brilliant. It says everything you need to know about what your kids need. It's in the handbook. Okay, so, on that note. And and real quick to Carrie's question. Oh, yeah, I didn't answer. What happens in your state, the Texas dyslexia handbook? Are the schools not in compliance or how do they avoid meeting needs? So that's okay, a really tricky question. Yeah. That's I think you're going to find that across most places is now you're talking about semantics. Well, it's not mandated. One of the lawyers I spoke with said, until it's mandated, nobody's going to follow it. So it's really a joke of a law. Um, I hate to say it, but it is a law that doesn't have to be enforced. So to me, that's, it, you know, so right now it's a dyslexia handbook. It's an ideal, but nobody follows it. Well, and, you know, we all, I, they don't have I know that I take the handbook with me every single time. And of course, my district looks at me and with everything that they do, they say, oh, we follow the handbook to the letter. And of course, I can point out very specific sections where they're not following the handbook to the letter. But the issue is the laws are pretty much three wheeled Kias that have broken engines. And what our kids need is, you know, they're entitled to the Cadillac and we've got to be fighting for the Cadillac. So until we kids the Cadillac, you know, we've got a lot more that we need to do. Well, and when we, when I was in education, we used to say that in the IEP, we'd say this kid's getting the Cadillac, that kid's getting the Yugo, because right. back in the day we had Yugos. <laughs> yeah. Well, says my age, I know. <laughs> that's why I was like, it's the three-wheeled Kia with the broken I like engine. that one. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, the educators are saying that. They know they're giving the Cadillac to some and not to others. I mean, it's, right. it's, it's and it's not that out of any ill will, it's just that that's the way it's done in the schools at this point because right i mean because and i said i said this in a meeting a couple of days ago but we don't we don't view dyslexia as a disability but from an educational perspective you have to classify dyslexia as a disability in order to get the services that you're legally entitled to but the slippery slope is the fact that even once your child is identified with dyslexia within the educational system, they're treated as though they are more disabled than the dyslexia themselves. And 
but they're treated as though it's a disability beyond something that can be remediated. That's why the kids are not on grade level. That's why the kids are not, you know, being given everything that they can be given in order to succeed at their intellectual level with their peers. It's as though it's a disability that can never be remediated in any way, shape or form. And that's not right. And that's another thing we need. That's part of the fight. That's what we need to keep fighting for. So we'll talk. We, really have, to stop. <laughs> we, have, to stop. we have to stop. I, I have to go bake a cake. So I know. <laughs> I'm not going to say anything else except for goodbye. <laughs> Happy Easter, everybody, and thank you Happy so much Easter. for joining us. Have a good weekend.